This is a podcast from the University of Manchester's Jodrell Bank Center for Astrophysics. For the full show and archives, visit jodcast.net. Night sky for November 2017. Well, after sunset, that lovely region of the sky containing the summer triangle, Altair in Aquila, Deneb in Cygnus, and Vega in Lyra is setting down into the west. A rather more open and less obvious region of sky is now, I suppose, towards the southwest. It contains the constellation of Pegasus, the winged horse, which actually is upside down. And from Alpharats, which is the top left-hand star of the square of Pegasus, is a way of finding the great nebula in Andromeda, M31. And on the night sky website, just put in Jodrell Bank night sky into uh, a search engine, you'll find a little chart showing you that's one way of finding it, starting at Alpharats, with another way starting from the constellation of Cassiopeia, which is almost overhead in the evening during November. And the right-hand V of the W points down to where Andromeda lies. So that's a nice region to look at. But of course, rising first in the southeast and then in the east is first of all coming down towards the east from Cassiopeia, we have the constellation of Perseus. And between the two is a very nice object. It's called the double cluster. And with binoculars or a small telescope, it looks very nice indeed. It's two little open clusters close together. And in fact, one of them has got uh, five rather nice red giant stars around it. Down below Perseus, we'll see the Hyades cluster in Taurus the Bull. And above it, to the right of it, of course, is the lovely Pleiades cluster, one of the most beautiful open clusters we can see in the northern sky. And then rising in the southeast and gradually getting higher in the sky is the constellation of Orion the Hunter. The three stars that make its belt point up to the right towards the Hyades and the Pleiades and down to the left, but yet to rise, the star Sirius in Canis Major. And below the central star of the belt is a little fuzzy region you can see with binoculars or a telescope, which is the Orion Nebula, a birthplace of stars. And then slightly to the north of east, you might see two bright stars, Castor and Pollux, and they're the heads of the twins in Gemini. Well, what about the planets? Well, Jupiter passed behind the sun on October the 26th, and so will become visible again in the pre-dawn sky after the first week or so of November it will then lie down to the lower left of Venus. However, by the end of November, it will rise some two hours before the Sun, allowing its 31 arc-second disk, shining at a magnitude of minus 1.7, to be observed under clear skies. And I do hope we have more clear skies in November. It's been pretty dire in September and October. Sadly, of course, the low elevation will hinder our view. In comparison to Jupiter, which is now seen before dawn, Saturn is seen just after sunset, dropping down towards the horizon a little more each week. Shining at magnitude about plus 0.5, it sets around two hours after the sun on the first, but little more than one hour by month's end. It starts the month moving slowly eastwards in Ophiuchus, but reaches the boundary of Sagittarius on the 18th, moving to the lowest part of the ecliptic. Last month, Saturn's rings reached their maximum tilt to the line of sight of 27 degrees, and it's a real pity that Saturn is so low in the sky. Sadly, this will not improve for quite a few years as Saturn moves slowly through the lowest part of the ecliptic. 
Towards the very end of the month, Saturn edges closer to Mercury, but we're both so low above the horizon at sunset, they'll be difficult to spot. Well, Mercury passed between us and the Sun, that's called superior conjunction, on October the 8th, and so will become visible again after sunset in the latter part of the month. From around the 17th, it might be glimpsed with binoculars low in the southwest, 20 minutes after sunset, shining at magnitude minus 0.4. It reaches greatest elongation, some 22 degrees east of the Sun, on November the 23rd, but due to the shallow angle of the ecliptic to the horizon, never lies far above it. In the last few days of the month, its magnitude falls to minus 0.2, and it only lies about 5 degrees above the horizon 30 minutes after sunset. So that's the end of its apparition during November. Now Mars, lying in Virgo, is now becoming a morning object at the start of its new apparition, and rises 3 to 4 hours earlier than the Sun. It has a magnitude of about 1.7 and an angular size of 3.9, slightly increasing to 4.2 arc seconds. So one would not expect to see any details on its salmon pink surface. On the 4th, Mars is just 3 degrees to the upper right of Porima, Gamma Virginis. This closes to 2 degrees by the 6th, and by the end of the month, moving slightly lower down in the sky, it will lie just 3 degrees to the upper left of Spica, Alpha Virginis. Well, Venus is now moving back towards the Sun, and at the start of the month rises some 90 minutes before dawn, but that falls to about 45 minutes by the end of the month. Its magnitude remains at minus 3.9, as its angular diameter shrinks from 10.4 to 10 arc seconds, but at the same time, the illuminated phase increases from 96 to 99%, and that explains why the magnitude doesn't change. At the beginning of the month, it lies close to Spica, Alpha Virginis, with Venus some 100 times, which is five magnitudes, brighter than Spica. By month's end, though, binoculars might well be needed to spot it low above the eastern horizon. But please do not use them after the sun has risen. So what about the highlights of the month? And here I would refer you to the night sky page, because I have given star charts to help you find many of the things I'm about to talk about. So, November is still a good month to observe Neptune and Uranus with a small telescope. Neptune came into opposition on the 2nd of September, so it's still well-placed to spot this month. Its magnitude is plus 7.9, so it should be easily spotted in binoculars lying in the constellation of Aquarius. Uranus reached opposition on October the 19th, so it's visible pretty well all night. It'll be highest in the sky around 1am BST, shining at magnitude 57 with a disk 3.7 arc seconds across. It lies in Pisces, 1 degree and 18 arc minutes up to the right of Omicron Pisces. Its turquoise green colour should be seen in a small telescope, and it should be fairly easily seen in binoculars. Now, another one where I've given a star chart, I've mentioned already, around the 18th of November, and that's new moon, so there's no moon in the sky, find Andromeda, M31, and also, perhaps, a little harder, M33 in Triangulum. Andromeda is the largest galaxy in our local group, our own Milky Way galaxy the second, and M33 the third. So on the night sky page, I give a chart to provide two ways of finding Andromeda and then how to find M33. We do have some meteor showers in November. In the hours before dawn, we have a chance of observing meteors from two showers. The first that might produce some bright events 
is the northern torrid shower, which has a broad peak of around 10 days, but doesn't give many meteors per hour. The peak is around the 10th of November, but then the moon is close to third quarter, so its light will intrude. The better known November shower are the Leonids, which peak on the 9th of the 17th, 18th of the month. Then, of course, as I mentioned, the moon is new, so will not hinder our view. So an excellent year to look out for the Leonids. Let's really hope we have a clear night. As one might expect, the shower's radiant lies within the sickle of Leo, and the meteors could be spotted from the 15th to the 20th of the month. The Leonid meteors enter the atmosphere at around 71 kilometers per second. That's about the fastest that's possible, and this makes them somewhat challenging to photograph. Up to 15 meteors an hour could be observed towards the zenith. Well, there is a comet that you might be able to pick up with binoculars. So throughout November, it should be possible to spot comet 2017-01, brackets ASASSN, close brackets, as it nears the pole star. And again, I've given a chart to tell you where to look on the night sky page. Its brightness is now falling, but at magnitude 8 or 9, it should be visible with good binoculars near the pole star towards the end of the month. So a few brief things. On November the 6th, very early morning, the moon occults Aldebaran and the Hyades cluster. It's a near full moon, so the actual cluster won't be very visible, but with a telescope, it should be possible to see it occulting the red giant star. And I've given the times of ingress and egress on the night sky page. Remember, of course, that Aldebaran is not part of the cluster. It lies at a distance of 65 light-years away, whereas the Hyades cluster is 153 light-years away. On November the 15th, about one hour before dawn, Mars will be seen to the right of a thin crescent moon. The following day, November the 16th before dawn, one can see three planets and a crescent moon lined up in the eastern sky, lining along the ecliptic. Again, in the dawn glare, binoculars and a very low eastern horizon may well be needed to spot them. But please, of course, do not use the binoculars after the sun has risen. So that's a fair bit to look for during November. Let's hope for some clearer skies and good hunting. Thanks for that, Ian. And for our Antipodean listeners, here's Clive Brotherton with the night sky where you are. Kia and welcome to the November Jodcast from Space Place at Carter Observatory in Wellington, New Zealand. Mercury now joins Saturn in our western evening skies. Unfortunately, it won't be as easy to spot as its last evening appearance in July and August, as it sets before twilight ends. At the start of the month, Orange Antares, the brightest star in Scorpius or Tamatawamawi, will sit between the two planets. But as the stars and Saturn slowly sink closer to the horizon from night to night, Mercury climbs higher, sitting level with Antares on the 14th and with Saturn on the 24th, when it also reaches its greatest elongation east. Scorpius Tematawamawi has been dominating our evening skies over the winter months, but is now disappearing from view, ready to reappear in the morning over the coming months. As Scorpius sets in the west, his arch-enemy and our summer constellation, Orion, rises towards the east, along with Taurus and Canis Major. Antares, which marks the heart of the Scorpion, is also known as Rehua to Maori. It represents one of the four po, or pillars, that hold Ranganui, the sky father, up in the sky. It sits just above the southwestern horizon at around 11pm at the beginning of the month. 
These four posts form the basis of a celestial compass, a map of the night sky that was used to navigate the vast Pacific Oceans and bring our Polynesian ancestors to Aotearoa, New Zealand. The other three po are marked by Matariki, the Pleiades, Totoru, the belt of Orion, and Takarua, Sirius, which line up along the eastern horizon. Matariki supports one of Rangi's shoulders and marks the rising point of the sun at the winter solstice. Takarua, or Sirius, supports the other shoulder and is the closest bright star to the sun's rising point at the summer solstice. These two stars represent the extent of the sun's movement throughout the year. In between, rising directly east is Totoru, or the belt of Orion, marking the rising point of the sun at the time of the equinox. Stretching from Scorpius around to Orion is Tewaka or Tamarauti, or Tamarauti's canoe, which lines up along the southern horizon in our evening sky. The front of the canoe is marked by the tail of Scorpius, with a sting representing the beautifully carved wood that adorns the prow. The star at the end of the scorpion's curving tail marks a place where the bow meets the water, whilst Rehua or Antares marks a crest of a wave as the great waka glides through the waters of the Milky Way. The southern cross marks the anchor, Tepunga, and the pointers, Alpha and Beta Centauri, are the anchor line, Tetora. Orion marks the stern of the canoe, with the elaborately carved stern post rising all the way up from red Betelgeuse to bluish Rigel. A tall mast rises from the waka all the way to Achenar, high in the south, the brightest star in the southern constellation of Eridanus, the river, which we explored last month. A little below Achenar, the two small fuzzy patches of light that make up the large and small Magellanic clouds mark the waka's sails. One story tells of Tamarerity sailing across the sky in his waka with all the stars in kete or baskets. He places the key seasonal and navigational stars in their correct positions in the sky, but he finds he has lots of smaller stars left over. So he capsizes his waka, spilling all the smaller stars into the sky, forming Te Ikaroa, or the Milky Way. Another story tells of Tamarauti scattering bright pebbles in the dark, lightless sky to help guide his way home. The pebbles became the stars, and the wake of his waka formed the Milky Way. The sky we see in mid-evening in October-November each year is, in fact, the same sky we see just before sunrise around June, the time we celebrate Matariki, or Maori New Year. It is said that the bright star Canopus, or Atutahi, the Araki, or High Chief of the Heavens, pulls up the anchor at the start of the year, starting the waka in motion. During the year, you can track the progress of Tamarauti's waka as it moves across the sky one day at a time. On the opposite side of the sky is the great square of Pegasus, the flying horse, leaping over the northern horizon. Last month we talked a little about this wonderful constellation, its brightest star Enif marking the horse's muzzle, and the beautiful globular cluster M15. But we can also use Pegasus to help us find some of our nearest galactic neighbours. The star at the bottom right of the great square of Pegasus is in fact Alpha Andromedae, or Alpha Apps, the brightest star in the constellation of Andromeda. Located some 97 light-years from Earth, it is a spectroscopic binary star whose two components orbit each other in just a 100 days. Alpharats is a great starting point to star-hop to the great galaxy in Andromeda, or M31. The nearest large spiral galaxy to our own, M31 makes a rare appearance in our southern hemisphere skies at this time of year 
but you'll need a good dark sky and a clear view of the northern horizon to spot it. The further north you go, the better your chances of finding it. From Alpharax, look for two chains of stars extending out to the east. Hop along the uppermost and brightest of these chains, past Delta Andromedae to Myrak, Beta Andromedae, then turn sharply right and head down to New Andromedae, before jumping on the same distance again to find the galaxy. The Andromeda galaxy covers an area around six times the diameter of the full moon, but only the brighter central region is easily visible to the naked eye, or with binoculars or a small telescope. At 2.5 million light-years away and magnitude 3.4, the Andromeda galaxy is the most distant object easily visible with the naked eye. It is thought to contain around 1 trillion stars, well over twice the number estimated in our own Milky Way. Some recent studies, however, have suggested that the Milky Way may contain more dark matter, giving the two galaxies a more similar mass. M31 is approaching the Milky Way at 110 kilometers per second and is expected to collide and merge with our own galaxy in around 4 billion years. A little higher and towards the east, the Triangulum Galaxy, or M33, is better placed in our skies. At around 3 million light-years from Earth and shining at magnitude 5.7, it is just at the limit of naked-eye visibility under excellent conditions making it one of the most distant objects able to be glimpsed unaided. To find M33, head back from Andromeda towards Myrak and then continue a similar distance to the other side. While spotting it with the naked eye is a real challenge, it's easily observable in a pair of binoculars. With the mass of tens of millions of suns, M33 is also approaching us at around 100,000 kilometers per hour. The most striking feature of the Triangulum Galaxy is a massive region of star formation known as NGC 604, which can be seen with a small telescope. NGC 604 is a hundred times larger than the Orion Nebula and contains over 200 hot, massive blue stars formed just three million years ago. In fact, if it were at the same distance as the Orion Nebula, it would be second brightest to only the moon in the nighttime sky. Also look out this month for the Leonid meteor shower, which peaks around the 17th to 18th of November, when the Earth passes through the trail of dust and debris left behind by the comet Temple-Tuttle. Whilst normally a reliable but fairly quiet meteor shower, observers have noticed that roughly every 33 years, the number of meteors observed during the shower shows a marked increase as the Earth passes through the denser parts of the cometary debris trail. Sadly, predictions for this year are somewhat more moderate, with around 10 to 20 meteors expected per hour. Luckily, with a new moon on the evening of the 18th, our chances of seeing some are much better than last year. The radiant of the shower, from which the meteors appear to originate, is located in the constellation of Leo, which rises only a couple of hours before the sun in our morning sky. The best time to observe the Leonids is about two to three hours before sunrise on the mornings around the peak. Look around 20 degrees away from the radiant point for the best chance of meteor spotting. Wishing you clear skies and happy meteor hunting from the team here at Space Place at Carter Observatory.